dog in your life is thinking? Well, join me, Liz Murdoch, animal communicator, talking with the dogs and finding out what dogs want people in their lives to know and understand. I've spent my life talking and listening to animals. So if you consider yourself a dog person or just happen to have a dog, I'm here to help you learn how to talk or listen to the dogs in your life. I chat with people too, sharing stories and tips on exactly how animal communication or being a dog whisperer makes an impact at home or when working with the dogs. So welcome to Talking with the Dogs podcast, a place where we uncover exactly what dogs want us to know and celebrate that every dog has a story. Hi, welcome to Talking with the Dogs live on YouTube. I am with Irit Bloom of The Sophisticated Dog. She is a dog trainer and you do this all over the world. Yes, I do. And thank you so much for having me. Can I first of all say that? I'm so honored and I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and to talk to everyone who is in your fan world. I mean, it's really it's really great. Um, hopefully we'll get some really great information out there that they'll find helpful and we can work together to make their dog's lives even better. Excellent. That's my goal because it comes up for those listeners who have heard my podcast before that many dogs like dog school. They, unlike children, will say, I want to go back to dog school and they benefit from training. And sometimes people will say to me as a dog communicator, can you tell my dog to just stop doing that behavior? I'm like, no, I can't tell your dog to do that. You can tell your dog, but it has to do with training and your house rules. And I'm just relaying information. So I'm hoping today listeners can get some tips or find out a good trainer to work with you're online, how to solve some of the things that come up in the house. So Tell me how you got started. People always ask me, how did you get started in this? Well, I've always loved animals. I was one of those, you know, kids who was born loving animals, rescuing random injured critters. Like Mm -hmm. I particularly remember a litter of cats, kittens who had, who had no mother and I was sort of bottle feeding them. Um, That's one of the ones that stands out for me. But I just always loved animals. My family had dogs, not my parents and I, but like my uncle had a dog. My grandparents had a dog. And I was always, I always got along really well with all the family dogs. And I kept begging my parents for a dog and asking over and over and over. And when I was 10, we finally got a dog. And my parents were too busy to train the dog. Or maybe they just said they were too busy. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were just very clever parents. And They basically said to me, well, if you want the dog trained, you're going to have to do it. So I started with training. They took me to an obedience class. It was very old fashioned with choke chains and you were very angry with your dog. And even then I wasn't very good at being angry with my dog, even when I was told to. Mm -hmm. Um, I was as gentle as I could possibly be. And I really, I don't think my dogs ever thought of me as particularly threatening or frightening. But that first dog we had, he always listened to everything I asked him to do. I always praised him and petted him and fed him treats. And he protected me when people threatened me, which did happen just a couple of times. He was, he was wonderful. He was just an amazing, amazing dog. I just have to say, for the record, he was a Rottweiler. So don't mm-hmm. judge a dog by its cover, if you right. will. 
Right. He was one of the gentlest souls I have ever known. Certainly the either the sweetest or the second sweetest dog I've ever had in my life. It's a little hard to compare two dogs that I had 30 years apart. Right. So anyway, that sort of got me rolling. And I was also into horses and I finally convinced my parents to let me go horseback riding. And then I had a horse for a while and I was always training some kind of animal. Mm-hmm. And then my life detoured for a while. I moved to a foreign country. I worked as a professional translator and I didn't have a dog in my life because I lived in a in an apartment with tatami mats and it wasn't allowed. And But when I came back, I immediately brought a dog into my life again. And the dog that I brought into my life happened to have quite a few issues. He mm-hmm. had separation anxiety. He attacked gardening equipment. Like if we were going by a leaf blower, he would attack the leaf oh, blower wow. and things like that. Edge trimmers, that was the really scary one when he would attack edge trimmers. Um, He lunged and snapped at other dogs. He had all kinds of things going on. And um, I had been, over the years, I had always been giving people advice on taking care of their dogs anyway. And so I kind of delved even deeper into behavior science and how things work. And within about six months, I had this incredibly well-behaved dog, if I do say so myself. And all the people in my neighborhood kept saying to me, wow, your dog is totally transformed. Are you a professional trainer? Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was working as a professional translator. And after the, you know, sort of 50th person said to me, are you a professional trainer? I thought, huh, maybe this is something I should look into. So I went back to school, got myself sort of a proper education got myself certified. There's a lot of trainers out there that aren't certified. I have a lot of certifications. I won't Mm -hmm. go into all of them. Um, I think it's very important to have some knowledge and experience behind what you do. Mm -hmm. And after I got certified, I started helping people with their dogs. And um, for a long time, I did the traditional thing where I saw people in person. And then a couple of years ago, as this ability for us to meet through the internet has improved, I started doing virtual sessions. Mm -hmm. So I do offer virtual sessions worldwide. I've worked with people all over the world and I still do in person, but in a very, very narrow area because traffic in Los Angeles is so bad. (laughs) So I want you to talk because in my chat sessions with dogs, people will call me and they will have a behavior issue and, and I will find out causes and what the dog has to say. And then I'll say, you know, you might go want to go to a trainer for this because I can tell this is really bothering you and the dog has another perspective and you need to find a way to come together. And just like you said, traffic is like, oh, I don't have time to go to dog training. And they feel sort of guilty. And there was one woman who I ran into in a store and she had purchased a package for me of several sessions. And then I didn't hear from her and I saw her and she goes, oh, I've been meaning to call you, but we never went to dog school. I felt really bad, but you're doing it online. So yeah. how does that work? Because so, you know, at- you're in Los Angeles. So like yeah. I, I had a client session this afternoon with a woman in Canada. How does that work? Is it any different? Well, you know, so here's the thing. People are really used to sort of the traditional model like you see on TV or like we've been doing for years and years and years where a trainer comes into your home, they get your dog to do it, they show you how you do it, and then they leave and you practice in between. We still do the practice in between, by the way, Mm -hmm. with the online sessions. Yeah. But one of the things that I've seen now that I've Now that I'm doing, uh, right now I'm doing exclusively online sessions because of the Los Angeles restrictions. Technically, person dog training is not allowed with a very, very small exception. But anyway, 
that would be if I had a storefront. There's a small exception, but I don't have a storefront. So I've been seeing everyone exclusively online. And what I'm finding is without me there, we're actually getting, in most cases, better results. Wow. Because I can still see the dog. I can still see the people. And I'm trained. One of the things I'm certified in is teaching people. So I am trained to teach people without, you know, putting my hands on them or moving them around. And in the end, the dog doesn't need to do the behavior for me. They need to do the behavior for the other person. And so what I do is I talk them through. I Maybe I show them a video or maybe I demonstrate with my very dear dog, Wesley, here, who for the record... Yeah, for the record, Wesley is not a living, breathing animal. He is, in fact, a stuffed toy, but he's a very well-behaved stuffed toy. Yes, he's uh, not we'll a stuffed dog, him. just in case anyone wants to go there. He's a, yes, he is made a from a toy company. Made from a toy company, Melissa and Doug. In case you want one, okay. I'll just plug Melissa and Doug. They make very realistic stuffed dog toys, stuffed toys. toy dogs. Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to say that. He's supposed to be a West Highland Terrier, by the way, hence the name Wesley. But so to get back to the virtual session, sorry, I detoured myself. So I would, you know, I would maybe show them, I'll talk to them about what's going on. That's no different than when we're in person. And I say, oh, it sounds to me like we need to work on your dog's leash manners. Here I have a video of me teaching leash manners to an actual dog. Let's watch the video together and I will explain what I am doing. And we go through it so they get to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Then I say, okay, let's picture we were teaching Wesley. So I would want him to have a nice loose leash, no tension on the leash. And when he's next to me, and I realize this is a little harder to do on camera, but when he's next to me like this, I'm going to praise him and then I'm going to feed him a little piece of food. Mm-hmm. And now I want you to try this with your dog and here's how we're going to do it. And I would take them through the steps. And what's great is, I am not actually there. So I'm not distracting their dog. Right. Otherwise, their dog would be like, oh, trainer person. I want to talk to yeah. you. Yeah. And also, people sometimes kind of rely on me. They're like, right. oh, can you just do it? Can you just show Fluffy? That's the right. Behavior? And then when I walk out of the house, Fluffy won't do it for them. So what this does is it encourages people to learn the skill mm-hmm. for themselves. And also we know right away if it's going to work or not, because if Wesley's going like this as they're training him, then I know that something's not working. But if he's standing right here and being a really good boy, then I know that they've got the right technique for their dog's needs. Right. That's really good. That's powerful. And how long is the session? Because that's another, like, oh, I don't have time. How long is this? Right. So I offer, so the, my first sessions are always long because no matter how right. many people say, oh, I only have 45 minutes, they'll always take 90 minutes. That's just kind of how it works. So I do a, a session that's between about 75 and 90 minutes as a kickoff session. And right. then after that, people can do 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or 60 minutes. Yeah, oh, sorry. And they, then the only difference becomes how much we can cover. We can obviously cover more in 60 minutes and 30 minutes, but your dog may also be tired after 30 minutes. That's right. So you may find 30 minutes is more effective. So I had a call from a dog trainer. The first time a dog trainer ever called me, he says, I'm at my wit's end. I don't understand. The dog behaves perfectly in class. But she calls, the client calls me up and says, it's not working at home. What's the problem? So he, and she says she's doing everything right. 
I'm like, okay. And I was sort of like, wow, he's calling me. So I, we had a session, the three of us, he hired me. We had a session and the dog said, well, I'm confused because we don't do it all the time. And she said, oh yeah, I, I could practice more. So that has since then, I've been aware of it when people have issues. I'll say, well, are you like, there was a dog that was running out the front door. And she says, mm-hmm. and she said, can you make him stop running out the front door? I said, no, I can't make a dog do anything. I can find out why he's running out the front door. So I said, what's the deal? Why are you running out the front door? And he said, well, sometimes it's okay. So I said to the person, I said, well, he says, sometimes it's okay. When you're going out, you're like, come on, let's go. And then other times it's like, no, no, no. I said, he doesn't know. And dogs want us, the the people to be consistent. So that was the same with this trainer and the woman and the trainer. And I remember when I was doing dog training, training my dog, I've never taught dog training, but when I was doing dog training classes for my dogs, it was, we had to practice at least 10 minutes a day, up to 15. Do you still recommend that people practice every day? I do. I usually tell people anywhere from about five to 15 minutes for kind of the average person. I have some people out there that are just obsessed with training their dogs, right? which is great. Their dogs love it. As you pointed out, dogs love to go to school. Um, Please remind me, I'd like to get back to why that is. Okay. But so I'll get back to that. But so for most people, I say, if you can do five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, or five minutes in the middle of the day, you will make so much more progress than if you say, oh, I have to spend 30 minutes or an hour and you don't do it at all. The other thing is often, especially with a dog who is new to training, they really can't handle half an hour of intense work. It just, they just get tired and they're not learning as well at the end because they're just tired, which is fine. They don't have the ability to concentrate for quite that long. And so we're better off doing little short bursts. But yeah, I do ask if people can practice at least a couple times a day, at least every other day. Yeah. And you'll start to see progress. If you do, if you're only practicing once a week, it's the same as everything else. If you only work out once a week, your muscles are not going to get strong as quickly. That's right. So, and I will get to, to why they like dog school, but the practicing, so this came up in a session is like a family, whether it's just a dog and one person, I consider a dog family. So, okay. So say it's a family of four people and mom is taking the dog or one of the adults and one of the kids or just one of the adults is going to dog school. Then there in my, in my consults, the dog is saying, well, not everybody does it. Meaning I only need to sit for mom, but dad never asks me to sit or the kids, they don't care. So tell me how you work with people when there's more than one person living with a dog. Right. This is such a great question. So I give people a set of guidelines. I call them guidelines for having a happy dog. Okay. And they include things like reinforce behavior you like, which is the most important thing we can do. The word punishment does not appear in my guidelines, by the way. Yeah. The word management does manage behavior that you can't, you know, ignore, but reinforce the behavior that you like. And one of those guidelines is make sure that everyone in the household agrees on rules. Right. House rules. I call them house rules. Yes. And this is, I like that. House rules is great. And this is one of those things where sometimes we joke about this, um, that, you know, dog trainers actually need to be marriage counselors because 
not everyone does agree. And what I find is we kind of want to find the lowest common denominator. What will everyone commit to doing? Right. And that's the most we can ask of the dog. Because like you just said, if, if dad says you must sit before I put on the leash and you must sit before you walk out the door, but mom says, I don't care if you wriggle around and give me a little game of chase before I put on the leash, then he's never going to learn. The dog is never going to learn right. to sit because it's an inconsistent rule. So this is just like the sort of, you know, the kid who says, oh, dad said no, so I'm going to ask mom or mom said right. no, so I'm going to ask dad. Mm-hmm. I use that analogy with people a lot. Like you all need to agree. Now, if you have a child who's under the age of six, we can give them a pass. Right. Maybe a even one. if they're under the age of like eight or nine, like there's a point, you know, your child, but there are certain things that even your children should follow this rule and all the adults should follow the rule. And if the rule is no getting on the couch, the dog never gets on the couch, no matter who's home. Right. And if the rule is the couch is allowed then the couch is always allowed. And so what I encourage people to do, and I will sit and help them work through this is let's all have an open discussion. Because a lot of times they don't, they won't do that unless someone facilitates it for them because mom doesn't want to say she secretly hates having to vacuum the couch. Right. And dad doesn't want to say he secretly hates, you know, dog fur in the bed or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And so I will say to them, okay, how do you all feel about, let's say the bed? That's a big one. Let's say, how do you feel about the dog being in the bed? And remember, even if I'm in a virtual session, I can see everyone's faces. And I know right away if there's someone who's going, oh, I really kind of wish we didn't have to have him on the bed. So I can go from there. And there is a little bit of a therapist element to it. Yeah. But I try to remind them as often as I can, we're doing this to help your dog. Dogs find that lack of consistency, it creates a lot of anxiety for them. They find it anxiety producing. They're, they're like, they're just, just somebody tell me, am I supposed to do this or am I not supposed to do this? Why do you yell at me sometimes, but other times it's okay. And they're very, very puzzled because they don't understand English. You know, they're not, they can't, every sentence we say to them, they're not necessarily understanding every word of it, even if they understand a word here and there, which I think they do. So I encourage them, I remind them, if we can come up with a set of rules that's the same, it doesn't even matter what the rules are, the dog will say, oh, now I get it. Thing A always applies, thing B always applies, thing C always applies. Yes. So I had a dog consult with a dog and I always end with, what does your dog want you to know? So this was a little dog and it was a mom and one of her sons was on the call and Sometimes I'm with one member of the family, just whoever wants to be. Sometimes sometimes it's the whole family, but this was a mother and a son. And I said, okay, let's find out what your dog wants you to know. So I said, oh, she's really confused why she can only go on the bed sometimes. She misses being on the bed. She wants you to let her back on the bed more often. And the little boy goes, what? And the mom goes, oh, I'm busted because when dad travels, the dog gets to go on the bed with mom. But when dad's home, the dog is not allowed. And the dog was very confused and really wanted back on the bed. And so I just think it shows that we can't trick the dogs that about the consistency. They know and they have their requests and they will act funny when they don't understand why can't I have something at the table 
when grandma's over, when you give me treats, you know, scraps from the table. So thank you for sharing that. Now let's go back to why they like dog school because it'll come up with, yeah, we've already been to dog school. I know what I need to do. I'll just start doing it more. And I'm, I'll be like, well, your dog's saying that he really wants to go back to another class. He likes it. So tell me about why it's important. Okay, so let me start with, for the class situation, I'm going to say a dog who particularly wants to go to a class, Mm -hmm. I can think of a few reasons that are likely reasons. One is he wants to see other dogs. Right. You know, this is a dog who doesn't get to go out and see a lot of other dogs, and maybe I'm going to switch the dog to a she. And maybe she's, you know, feeling lonely, and she's not getting canine companionship, and when she went to dog school, she got to interact with other dogs and she really misses that. Yeah. And so I think that's something where a dog might really enjoy the class situation because they get this interaction with other dogs. Another thing they get at class is they get interaction with other people because each mm-hmm. of those dogs in class has a handler who is, you know, the one holding the leash and teaching that dog, whatever the routine is for this particular class. So maybe they like meeting new people who are all dog people, who all love dogs, Mm -hmm. who are all interested in meeting another dog, who say, oh, look what a good girl Sadie is. You've taught her how to sit and she's doing such a nice job. Maybe they appreciate that energy and that love that they're getting from people who aren't their family. And that's something they miss. And -hmm. then the other thing is the dog has probably learned while we were at dog school, My human practiced with me Uh at least a few times a week. Right. And so maybe it's not so much about the other dogs or the other people, although it might be. Maybe it's about, I want to be playing training games more. Mm -hmm. And I do think of them as training games. Right. Yes. By the way, because when done properly, your dog should love training. This is why I'm a positive reinforcement trainer. I'm committed to using methods that make it fun for the people and fun for the dogs because we do stuff that's fun. We don't do things that aren't fun when we do them. So I want it to be fun. So the dog says, wow, we were having so much fun. You were teaching me to sit. You were teaching me to down. Then you taught me how to spin. Maybe we jumped over something. Maybe we climbed through a tunnel. And now I sit at home and life is kind of boring. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason in particular for class that you might see. Now, the the boring life part, that goes into any kind of training, whether they just want to be doing more training time with you or whether they want to be going to a class. Dogs are highly intelligent animals. Their intelligence is different than ours, which is one of the things I love about them, actually. Uh I love that, that I'm in contact with a different kind of mind. Um, I'm sure you enjoy the same thing. It's really fantastic. It's just such an amazing experience. We're so lucky to have this this foreign creature, this alien thing in the best possible sense, living in our home and sharing our lives. It's just fun. But they're highly intelligent. It's just not exactly the same way we are. They don't process necessarily the same way we do. They don't necessarily solve problems exactly the same way we do. But they have a brain and they want to use it. Mm -hmm. And while we have domesticated dogs at their heart, they are still social animals, like the wolves that were there, their forebears, which Mm -hmm. go way beyond wolves. They were something, they've now split off into wolves. Whatever it was goes before wolves. So like the wolves that were their forebears, they were social. They worked together as a Mm -hmm. family. 
Yeah. And they were also hunters, which means they had a lot of problems to solve. How do I get the food? Where do I get the food? When do I have the best opportunity to catch the thing that, you know, not to not to be gruesome, but the thing that's going to keep me alive because it's my food. And then we take them and we put them in a home. We give them their food for free. We never ask them to use their brain. And they're right. just they're just bored. So people always ask me, how can I exercise my dog so that he gets into less trouble? Uh, you know, maybe I should run him 10 miles a day or yeah. whatever. And it's not about the running. Running or playing fetch over and over and over and over the same way or anything else that's very repetitive, it will increase your dog's physical fitness. No question about that. And physical fitness is important. But what it doesn't do is challenge their mind. Yeah. Once they've learned how the game of fetch works, it's like, oh, this is the routine. I'm just going to go. It's kind of like how I picture working on, a, uh, on an industrial production line. Like if mm-hmm. all you're doing is screwing a screw in, you're not thinking very hard as you put that screw in the automobile or whatever right. it is. Right. I don't think the fetch works their brain very hard. Running doesn't work their brain very hard because they don't get to stop and sniff and look around at their own pace. No. That comes up a lot too with dogs who want to, they talk about the importance of being able to stop and sniff. Oh yeah. And I'm a huge fan of, I call them choice walks. Mm -hmm. So in a choice walk, like say Wesley and I are, you know, we're going on our walk and I've, you know, I've gotten here and all of a sudden Wesley goes like this and he Uh starts sniffing. We're going to pretend this is a bush. Okay. He starts sniffing this bush. I'm going to stop. I'm not in a rush to go anywhere. This is Wesley's walk. This is not my walk. So Wesley sniffs here and he sniffs there. And maybe he lifts his leg and he sniffs a little more and then he's ready to move on. And when yeah. he's ready to move on, I move with him because it's about him getting the walk. So he should get to sniff. And yeah, you know, like if, if we're walking across Wilshire Boulevard, right. And he stops in the middle of the crosswalk. Maybe then I'm not going to let him have that choice because it's a dangerous choice in the middle of Wilshire Boulevard when the light could change. But basically everywhere else, all the rest of the time, as much as I possibly can, I say, oh, you want to speed up and look at that? Let's go look. You want to slow down and sniff this? Let's go sniff. That's a good way to exercise your dog's brain. A sniffy dog goes at his own pace. He decides if you turn right or left kind of walk. And I mean, even like when I get to the end of the block, I say to the dog, do you want to go around the block? Do you want to cross the street? Do you want to go this way? I will do whatever. Do you want to turn around and go back where we just came from? That's all fine. I will do all of those things with you. And then the training time is also really great brain exercise because suddenly I've got a new puzzle I'm teaching my dog. And the dog's puzzle is how do I get the treat or the praise or the toy, yeah, whatever we're using. And typically for me, it's a treat or a toy. Praise comes along as a bonus. So the all good points. I want to go back to the walk thing because I, yeah. I so I have talked to people that about the choice and I, I totally agree with you about the choice because some of the dogs, well, most dogs need choice to some degree, but yeah. in walks, I, you know, the people who are resistant to the whole training and there's probably people who are even resistant to know we're just going for a walk, take care of business to the end of the block and back. And I've told people that's not enough time. Your dog is saying that he wants more time or she wants to know how to walk on a leash. She never had to walk on a leash before. She wants you to help her. She is trying to figure it out. 
So even that, and then the destination walk that it's, I, I'm sure this has come up with you when people have been resistant about the, I'm not, I don't have time to let them choose which way we're going to go. I think that sometimes you can have your destination walks, but balance it and your dog will understand this is just a taking care of business walk or today we're walking to the store. I'm going to pick something up and then we're heading home versus our explore the world walk. Right. And I I think that's such a great way to go about it is to say, you know, some walks are just a potty walk. I have five minutes to potty you. That's it. Like Mm -hmm. you have this much time to potty, please just do it. So that's okay. Encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to intersperse that with walks where the dog gets a lot more options. And I often teach my clients, so first of all, I, I teach every client I have, unless they have one of the one in a thousand dogs who naturally walks on leash, they do exist, but they're very rare. Mm-hmm. I wind up teaching them how to walk their dog on leash because this is not logical. Right. If you think about it, even as a human, if someone tied a rope around you, the first thing you would do is you would try to get away. Mm-hmm. So why do we say we're going to tie a rope to the dog and then be surprised when the dog does this? Exactly. There's also something called, I'll give you the fancy Greek name because it's just fun. There's something called sigmotaxis, which in English is opposition reflex. Okay. So if you think about it, even as a human being, if I grab your wrist, what do you do without thinking? You pull your wrist away from Right. You. Right. So when I pull on the leash, the dog, without thinking, pulls away from me. Sorry, Wesley. That was a little. See, I don't. I don't. I would not. I would not do this to a real dog. For the record, yeah. Wesley is very tolerant, and he knows that I will always make it worth his while, even if it's a little stressful for a moment. But so the first thing is, I teach people how to to show their dog the piece of string is not the magic. The magic is you stay right next to my hip. Right. And I'm not talking about teaching healing in a formal way. I'm teach I'm basically teaching treats will arrive here next to me so that you want to stick close to me. Mm-hmm. And we start indoors where it's nice and easy and we gradually work our way outside. But right. then the other thing I teach people is I teach them I sort of think of this as a meta signal. I teach them two modes for walking. There's with okay. me mode Right. which is the dog is expected to walk along with me. Okay. And there's go sniff mode where I'm ah. expected to walk with the dog. Okay. So in with me mode, I say, I need to get to the coffee shop. You stay with me. I'm going to feed you an occasional treat for walking so nicely beside me. We get our coffee. We walk back. That's it. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a normal walk, what I would do is maybe I would do with me when I'm crossing the street and then go into go sniff when I'm back in an area where there's a lot of things to sniff. And then I go to with me when I need to walk quickly again and then go sniff when I want to follow the dog a little. And I have people alternate. And what actually happens, first of all, the dogs get their sniffy time in. Right. And the other thing is the dogs become more and more interested in walking next to you because Uh you're not making it an either or. They don't have, they're not stuck having to constantly walk next to you. They know that if they want to go and sniff something, you'll give them that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so they're more willing to walk with you. And And I find it works really well. How does the dog know when it can go? You're going to the coffee shop and the dog says, oh, there's a smell. I can tell that bush has a good smell. How does it know that it can go? And, and that's so... If I'm not going to let him go, I will have him in with me mode from the beginning. 
Mm -hmm. And I will say to him, with me in that lasts until I tell him otherwise. So it's a verbal. It's a verbal signal I actually give the dog. Got it. And then the Mm -hmm. ghost sniff signal says, and now you're free to do whatever you want. And, but the ghost sniff, so here's how I divide it up. So the dogs are interested in doing with me. During with me, you get a treat periodically for walking with me. During go sniff, you get no treats. Okay. The world is your reward. There you go. So if you want to start getting treats again, then you come back and then the dog will let me know. The dog will be like, hi, I'm done sniffing. Can we go back to with me mode? I mean, they really do this. They, they're like, yeah. sniff, 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 sniff. Okay, now I'm back. And I say, go sniff. And he's like, eh, not interested. I'd rather pay attention to you. Perfect. So are you also of the mindset that you don't care what they call it with me mode? It's just as long as the, per, the family unit agrees what they're going to call it. Yep. Like, they could call it. Name it whatever you want. Right. They could call it blue you know, blue jeans and, and it would work as long as everybody says blue jeans. The key is that it's consistent and the dog knows what the rule is. And I will say this is one leash walking is one of those things where you really don't want to have a young child doing that with the dog because so many things can go wrong. Mm -hmm. But this is definitely something that a child who is, you know, sort of a preteen or a teen can definitely learn Mm -hmm. and work with a dog on. Yeah. Or practice at home, maybe. Yes. And that's always where you start everything. It's always at home where it's easier. But with the kids, the kids can practice. Okay. So let's get to the dog. I love that. Have the kids do it like around the yard and the parents do it out in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I started dog training when I was eight and, and I know, I mean, most kids are not doing dog training. I was like you, I just was like, Oh, this is a game. I just wanted to keep doing it. And I loved it. So I, but I, I do try and encourage people to include their kids as much as, even in the sessions when someone might call me up about a behavior issue and they want, I just want to find out what my dog is thinking. I'm like, okay. I go, oh, you've got kids in your house. Why don't you see if any of them want to just listen in? Yeah. So, okay. So I want to talk about animal communication. You're a dog trainer. Yeah. You are a highly trained dog trainer. You studied it. You're, you're on the board of certifications. You've worked with uh, Victoria Stillwell, who's a famous dog trainer. And I am someone who promotes myself as, I mean, I studied education at Columbia University. So I'm an educator and I love right. developing educational programs. I just never realized at that time I would be doing it with dogs based on my conversations with dogs. But many people will who are unfamiliar with dog talking will say, well, what is that? Is that woo woo? How does it work? And I'm like, listen, for whatever reason, I get images from dogs and it's just, that's, I know I get images from dogs or I get knowing senses, but I also will ask people, have you ever had a knowing sense or a gut feeling about something? And everybody says, yes, everybody. And my mission is when people will say, oh, I love my session with you. Um, I'm glad you could tell me what my dog is thinking. And I'm like, your dog would rather tell you. And I'm working on that. But I'm interested as a dog trainer who is, it's very method, there's a method to dog training and it's a science. Whereas animal communication is not like the same respected science yet. There's been studies that it works, but it's still not as like, if someone's going to hire someone, they're going to go for a dog trainer first and an animal communicator. I'm like, well, someone who talks to dogs can help you 
make the most of your session. But I'm curious from your work, what you've noticed or have experienced people who, whether with somebody who is trained like me to talk to dogs or just for entertainment purposes, let's find out what our dog thinks, but who actually uses it has said to you, oh, I've noticed that I'm starting to understand what my dog is thinking. Have you had experiences or they they have been to an animal communicator and they are interested in taking it more seriously, the dog training and blending it with talking to dogs? I'm curious what your experience is or if it's just brand new. Well, so, you know, it's interesting. I do have some clients who have gone to an animal communicator and it's one of the ways they've actually gotten to me Mm -hmm. um, on more than one occasion. And what I find, what I'm seeing in them is an openness and an acceptance that I think maybe wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. It's as if having that experience where you or someone like you was able to give them an insight into their dog's mind suddenly makes it real to them yeah. that the dog has thoughts and emotions, which is something that I absolutely believe. And the science also shows that dogs have thoughts and emotions yeah. for the record. Yeah. So it's not just like, no matter how you feel about things that maybe we do not yet understand the exactly. science right. The science itself does show that dogs have emotions, dogs have thoughts, and they have their own, you know, cognitive biases, just like we do. We, we know a lot about that. And what, but I believe that very strongly. I find some of my clients don't. They kind of say, no. oh, well, my dog doesn't care. My dog doesn't have feelings. And so for those kinds of people, I've found that when they connect with an animal communicator, they're more willing to accept that their dog has opinions and they're more willing to give their dog the benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of times people say, my dog is doing something wrong. He must be doing it to annoy me. Right. He, you know, he's doing it because he wants to get back at me. And really in the vast, 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 like we're talking like 99.9999999999% of the time, your dog is just confused. They just right. don't know what you want from them. And I find that people who have talked to an animal communicator are suddenly more open to that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not understanding him. Maybe this is making him nervous. And then what I can do sort of from the science of dog behavior side, right? I can help them learn to read the body language signals that their dog is giving them. I can say, look, right now, he's yeah. saying to you, I'm confused. He's He's yawning, for instance. Dogs do not always yawn because they're tired. In no. fact, more often yeah. than not, they yawn because they're anxious or confused. And there are definitely yawns that I look at them, I'm like, this dog is confused right now. When he does that, he's saying to you, I have no idea what you want from me. Yeah. So I can help them in that way too. But that's sort of where I approach it. Is I say, what's the body language that I can teach them to help them read their dog, even when the animal communicator isn't there to help them with it? Yeah, yeah. With that, and that's huge because it's a starting point to shift that mindset to basically respect the dog a little bit more. Yeah. So do you find that the people who have worked with an animal communicator are um, somewhat noted that they achieve results faster? Have you ever noticed I that? Because some are still skeptical, even after they've, they're like, well, she and, got all, 
yes. So I'm not saying that, uh, trying to make you say yes. No, no. And what I'll say is it's a difficult question for me to answer because the vast majority of my clients, not right now, right now I have a ton of puppies, which is great. But Mm -hmm. the vast majority of my clients come to me because their dog has a serious behavior issue. Okay. So fearful behavior that's completely out of control, aggressive behavior that's completely out of control. Animal control cases come to me because I'm one of the few people qualified to take them. And so it's hard for me to say if it's, if it's make, if they're, excuse me, if they're getting faster progress, because Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to know what the progress would have otherwise been. Yeah. What I will say is I feel like they get on board more quickly and that almost certainly speeds the progress. Yeah. Good. Okay. We are running out of time, but you know what? I, it's, I, I'm really interested in the rehab part of dogs, the, the aggressive dogs that only certain people can handle because you know, you see on the feeds about dogs that it's like, oh, well, can somebody just take this? Somebody needs to take this dog. Maybe it could just go to a sanctuary. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, well, yeah, maybe, but where is that? And it, it still comes down to who's going to work with it and what's the care going to be. And I think that one of my things is like, if, if people could train the dog sooner, we wouldn't, those dogs wouldn't get to that position where they're so aggressive that you have to find a sanctuary or a highly trained person like you who might not be available at the time that that dog needs help. So I'm interested in, is there a common thing, experience that you see these dogs that need help with the rehab work that could prevent it from getting that far? In, in a general term. And maybe we need to talk another time about those kinds of situations because I know people are interested in them and they want to help, but it's like, well, what if we backtrack and talk about how we can prevent those dogs from getting there? So right. what, what do you see that is, if there is anything common in those kinds of situations where dogs are just need dire, you know, emergency intensive help to calm right. them down? Right. So, and I will say this is definitely something we could do an entire yeah. podcast on. I would love to do that. Okay. At some point. So we'll I'll do that another time. A brief, I'll give you a brief overview though. There, I would say that dogs that have serious behavior issues where it's literally life or death, it's life yeah. or death for them or for someone in the household, right. you know, they tend to fall into three categories. They tend okay. to fall into dogs who had an extremely poor childhood. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I had at one point I had a puppy mill, uh, a dam who had had multiple litters for a puppy mill, who was one of my clients. She was terrified of everyone and everything because she had been locked in a box her entire life. So even putting aside any genetic factors that may have affected her behavior and Lord knows genetic factors can be involved. So, you know, even putting that aside, there was a, an environmental upbringing issue where she just was never exposed to the world. So I see a lot of times it's socialization issues where the dog was not properly socialized. Mm-hmm. That's one category. And there are dogs where there was some kind of very bad traumatic event. It could be abuse. Uh, I see a lot with dogs that are aggressive towards other dogs that there was an attack on the right. dog when they were very young. I will mm-hmm. say, do not take a dog who is not emotionally fully grown to a dog park. It's just... Dog parks are not for everyone. I just, I, it's like, if your dog is six months old and something happens to him at the dog park, and unfortunately, because of what I do, I've seen so many of these cases, 
they may never recover. They may never be comfortable around other dogs again. They may be able to tolerate another dog nearby, but they'll never want to play and they'll never be completely comfortable. So that's one category is some kind of traumatic event happened. Some, they got, I don't know, hit by a car by accident, one would yeah. hope. They yeah. were abused by someone and then taken away from that person, but the trauma is still there. Or they were attacked by another dog. It could be any of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But there's also a subset of dogs who are just genetically pre-programmed to have difficulty navigating their way through life. Mm. And those dogs tend to be highly impulsive. What I mean by impulsive is they act before thinking. And even when they know that their action is going to have the wrong consequence, mm-hmm. something that they don't like, they will still do it anyway. Yeah. We, we have more and more research now showing that this is actually a, a, a problem in the brain, that it's not mm. a matter of training. You can't teach the dog to stop and think. I mean, like maybe you can wiggle them a little bit. Right. But you can't magically teach the dog to stop and think well when they're this impulsive. Right. Um, So there is some impulsivity. There are some dogs who are inclined to be compulsive one way or another. We we really don't, you know, we don't use the word obsessive with dogs. We use compulsive because we don't know what they're thinking. But um, some of them, some dogs have genetic factors. I would say most dogs, we can at least move them in the right direction. Yeah. But some dogs, they just had a really bad incident earlier in life. Yeah. And now we're playing catch up. So what we can do to just sort of quickly wrap this little answer up is as much as possible, we keep our dogs safe. We expose them to the world in a way that is safe. We don't take unreasonable risks with them. And we try to make sure that they meet and greet or at least see a lot of different things when they're babies so that they learn how to tolerate new things that they see. Definitely. So important. So important. And uh, if everyone who has a puppy, especially now with all the new people, people who are home and have dogs and they, we want those situations to last a long time, they can still, you know, socialize them to different sounds in their houses. They can do things at home so that if there's a garbage truck is coming to pick up their garbage, go outside with your dog and let it just hear the truck and get used to sounds. Yeah. All sorts of things. Well, I really thank you for your time on this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I do. And I think that it's clear there's opportunity for more discussions because, you know, I, most often you hear the dog acts this way because he was a rescue, but that's not necessarily the case. It could be because, yeah, he was a rescue and he was very fortunate, but then he came into the house and he didn't get the house rules that he needed. And he didn't get the socialization in your community so he wasn't able to adapt. And there's a lot more to just putting it on one thing. And there might be things within our homes that we can do to make a difference and really help these dogs. And I love that you can help my listeners understand that it's not just so much finding out what your dog is thinking or wants you to know, but there are training methods you can do to actually change the behavior. So the next time you talk to your dog, it might have something else to say. Yes. So I am going to include all your contact information in the show notes and so people can find you at the sophisticated dog. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I really believe that dog training is important and it is interesting how often it comes up with me. Can you tell my dog to stop doing that? Or the lost dog? Can you tell my dog to just come home? 
It's like, no, I can help you talk to your dog or maybe give it an invitation to come home, but I can't tell a dog to do anything. We can, so anyway, I want people to have the resources like people like you who are highly trained to do it in a way that is really dog friendly and in the best interest of the dog and the family, whether it's a one person family or five people in the home, whatever it is, it's a dog family and we often need support. And so I appreciate your work. And I will have that available, Erit Bloom, at The Sophisticated Dog. You're based in L.A., but you work online all over the world. Yes. And do you want to add anything else? Uh, I just want to say, I mean, there's obviously, there's always more we can say on this topic. So yes. I won't go down that path because that's that we could go on forever. We could. But I just want to say thank you so much. And I just love that I have you as a resource yeah. to connect my clients to if they want to understand more about why things are happening. Because I know it really does help people to get a better understanding of why. And yeah. I can offer them, I can tell them how to change the behavior. I can teach them how to teach their dog to do something different than the thing that they don't want. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they just want to understand. And that's somewhere where you can be so valuable to people. And I just, I love having that resource. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely a team effort. And, you know, it's easy to tell you, well, I don't know, I've done everything you said. But if they hear it from someone else, it's like, well, your dog's still confused. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Well, okay, I can't, I can't cut corners and go five days yeah. without practicing, especially with a puppy. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. I wish thank you all you. the best. And I look forward to our next session and seeing how we can help people. And Wesley, we'll include you more next time and you can show something else because there's lots of things dogs need to learn and you're a great helper. Yes. Okay. Next time we'll talk about choice petting. Wesley's very good at that too. Well, that just came up and here we go. In a session that some dogs prefer certain spots. And, and yeah. that's a big thing to respect your dog. Oh my gosh. Talk about behavior issues and socializing. Dogs give us clues. I mean, I don't need to tell All you where to pet yeah. them. Okay. So our next episode has that will be on how to pet a dog. Very I love basic. It. Very Great. basic. I love we'll, it. we'll keep it short. How to pet a dog. Okay. How, my dogs know we're done here. They're all getting up. Thank you. So- <laughs> Thank you so much. You're See welcome. You next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Talking with the Dogs. Hope today's episode made you want to understand your own dog better and appreciate that every dog has a story and something to say. Subscribe now for more dog stories and insights into animal communication and what it's like to be a dog whisperer. Review this episode on Apple Podcasts or follow Talking with the Dogs on Instagram or Facebook and sign up for a chance for you and your dog to be a guest on the show. Whatever you do, I hope you'll spend time talking with the dogs. Talking with the dogs.